Hey everybody, welcome back to the Takeaway Show. If you recognize this theme music, you know what episode this is, what's it about. We are going to be going over part two of the Titanic. I'm going to be picking up where I left off last time. Uh, I want to welcome all the new listeners. If you're new, welcome. Thank you for tuning in to the Takeaway Show. And if you are a regular listener, as always, thank you for your love and support with the show. You guys have no idea how much it means to me. And without you, the show doesn't keep go on. So, anyways, thank you guys so much for listening. And I want to thank also just Spotify uh, podcasters, Spotify podcasters uh, site for letting me t- do this podcast and, and house it. It means a lot to me. Thank you guys for letting me uh, express myself and this show in this manner. So let's get into the Titanic part two. So last week we kind of went over a back uh, a backstory prequel sort of of the Titanic and the White Star Line, the influential moneymakers who kind of made the Titanic what it is today and made it ha- how it was built, what was the funding behind it. Today we're going to be going over the night of the tragedy, April 14th, 1912. And I'm just going to do a timeline of just basically starting the morning and how it kind of goes from there. So stick with me, guys. It's a lot of information, but I think it's very important as we start the morning of and how it led to the events as we know today, the sinking and the tragedy. And then after that, I'm going to go over a few articles uh, discussing kind of the aftermath, what survivors had to say about it, and a fun little movie uh theory that I think a lot of you are familiar, but maybe some of you don't know. So let's get right into that of the night, the day of the tragedy, actually, April 14, 1912. So in the morning, Captain Edward J. Smith canceled a scheduled lifeboat, lifeboat drill um, at 5.50 p.m. So we kind of jump from the morning uh, to the evening because I guess not a lot happened in that time frame. Basically, everything started right at 5.50 in the evening and then kind of went and took a turn from there. At 5.50 p.m., after receiving iceberg warnings throughout the day, Captain Smith changed the Titanic's course, heading slightly south. However, the ship's speed is not lowered, and at 9.40 p.m., the Mesaba sends a warning to the Titanic about an ice field that includes quote, heavy pack ice and a great number of large icebergs. Wireless operator Jack Phillips, who works for the Marconi Company, is handling passengers' messages and never passes the warning on to the Titanic's bridge. Why that didn't happen, I have no idea. So at 10 p.m., the shift changes on the bridge. Oh, I'm so sorry. I lost my... Stay with me, guys, here. I lost my... Okay, so at 10 p.m., the ship changes on the bridge with First Officer William Murdoch, relieving Second Officer Charles Lightoller as the officer of the watch. Lookouts Frederick Fleet and Reginald Lee began their watch in the Titanic's crow's nest. The night is usually calm, making icebergs more difficult to see because there 
are no waves breaking at the icebergs. Adding to the difficulties is the fact that the crow's nest binoculars had been misplaced. That's really helpful. At 10.55 p.m., the nearby Californian radios the Titanic, quote, Say, old man, we are stopped and surrounded by ice. An annoyed Phillips responds, Shut up, shut up, I am busy, I am working Cape Race. A wireless station is located at Cape Race, Newfoundland, Canada. At 11 p.m., most of the Titanic's passengers have retired to the rooms for the evening. At 11.35 p.m., the wireless operator on the Californian turns off his radio. Fleet sees an iceberg in the Titanic's path and rings the bell three times to indicate that something is ahead. He then calls the bridge. Murdoch orders the Titanic hard a starboard, which means to the left, and the engines reversed. He also closes the doors to these supposedly watertight compartments. At 11.40 p.m., the starboard side of the Titanic scrapes along the iceberg, and Captain Smith arrives on deck and is told that the ship has struck an iceberg. Shortly thereafter, he is informed that the mailroom is filling with water, and other reports soon come in after of water in at least five of the ship's compartments. So at this time, basically, it's, it's going down. That There's no other way to put it. It's basically going down. So, designer Thomas Andrews surveys the damage. The Titanic was built to remain afloat with only four compartments flooded. Andrew predicts that the ship has only about one to two hours before sinking, which is really fast. So, we've hit midnight. So, on April 15, 1912, at 12 a.m., the lifeboats begin to be readied for launch. The 20 boats have space for only 1,178 of the more than 2,200 people aboard. An order is later given for women and children to board first, with crewmen to row and guide the boats. And if you watch the film The Titanic, which we kind of discussed about last uh, two weeks ago with Part 1, this film uh, really kind of shows the, um, the whole women and children uh, policy it really pushed that and it really showed and I really did a good job of elaborating on just how stressful and overwhelming the evacuation of the Titanic was. It was not a pleasant sight. It was people crawling over people, running into people. Imagine just a crowd full of people running at you, but on an uneven ship. Like the the balance and the counterweight colliding with the chaos and the craziness of how people can get. It really did a good job of showing that. And it was super stressful to watch. And it was super overwhelming. It's full of anxiety. So I can't even imagine what was going on in the actual events. At 12.15 a.m., Captain Smith orders Phillips and Harold Bride to send out a distress signal. Although SOS became the official distress signal several years later earlier, many still use CQD. CQ signifies a general call, and the D means distress. Over the next several hours, hours Phillips will send out both. The Frankfurt is among the first to respond, but the liner is some 170 nautical miles, which is approximately 350 kilometers away to the south. Other ships also offer assistance, including the Titanic's sister ship, the Olympic, but are too far away. At 12.20 a.m., the Carpathia receives a distress signal from the Titanic. Quote, come at once. We have struck an iceberg. It's a CQD, old man. 
The Cunard line immediately immediately changes course to aid the stricken ship some 58 nautical miles, approximately 107 kilometers away. It will take the Carpathia more than three hours to arrive. And going back, it was said that it would be one to two hours before the Titanic would be fully submerged. So with it taking them three hours, that means they wouldn't arrive on time. Fourth Officer Joseph J. Boxhall, tasked with determining the Titanic's position, revises the coordinates. The location is now given as 41 degrees 46 north and 50 degrees 14 west in the distress signals. Passengers waiting to enter lifeboats are entertained by the Titanic's musicians, who initially play in the first-class lounge before eventually moving to the ship's deck. Sources will differ on how long they perform until shortly they, shortly before the ship sinks. According to some, speculation will also surround the last song they ever perform, likely either Autumn or Nearer My God to Thee. None of the musicians will survive the sinking. And again, going back to the film too, they showed this. They showed the musicians playing, and then it shows them kind of putting away their instruments and then only one stays and the other two realize it well if you're staying i'm staying and they continue to play music it's really actually amazing that they stayed committed and passionate down to their very last breath basically about you know making sure the guests were entertained and kept calm and kept you know at a a cooler uh atmosphere i guess i should say a low less stressful atmosphere with their music even in the middle of all that chaos number seven on the starboard side is the first lifeboat lowered it carries some 27 people even though it has a room for 65 and that's one of the things they also push in the film is just they could fit more people and they refused to. They, they refused to overcrowd the boat and fit as many people as they could. Especially when it came to the upper class uh, passengers. They would put so many on and then be like, okay, we're done. When in reality, they could have fit maybe 15 to 20 more people on there. But because they were upper class, even in that time and even in that distress, they still were keeping it, you know, only upper class, over middle class lower class they were still distinguishing and dividing which wasn't cool many of the first lifeboats will be launched well bef below capacity partially because of the crewmen's worried that the davits would be unable to hold a fully loaded lifeboat in addition many passengers are initially afraid to leave the ship believing that the titanic is a is unsinkable the titanic fires the first of eight distress rockets a ship has been sighted less than 10 nautical miles away, which is 18 and a half kilometers, but the crew is unable to contact it through telegraph or Morse lamp. The rockets also prove unsuccessful. Crewmen aboard the Californian see the rockets, but fail to determine their source. Thought for some time to be the nearby ship seen by the Titanic, the Californian will later be believed to have been have to have been some 20 nautical miles away. Sorry, guys. Which is 37 kilometers. The mystery ship will be, though, to 
to be a Norwegian fishing vessel that was illegally hunting seal. I actually didn't know that, but what a twist, right? At 12.55 a.m., number five is the second lifeboat to leave the Titanic. As it is being lowered, to two male passengers jump into the boat, injuring one of the female occupants. Number six is launched, containing passenger Molly Brown and lookout fleet. The lifeboat is commanded by quartermaster Robert Hitchens, who was at the wheel when the Titanic struck the iceberg. His subsequent actions, not notably his refusal to look for survivors because they will only find stiffs, draw the ire of the other occupants, notably Brown, who threatens to throw him overboard. So basically he was like, if you don't help, you're off the boat. <laughs> um, at 1 a.m., number three is lowered. It carries approximately 39 people, 12 of whom are part of the ship's crew. Water is seen at the base E-deck of the Grand Staircase. Sorry, guys. Me yawning. I'm so tired. I had a long day at work, so I'm sorry if I keep trying to yawn. <laughs> number one is launched with the only 12 people. It can hold 40. Can you believe that? So the... Number one is launched with only 12 people, but it can hold 40. Like, why waste that space? An emergency cutter it is smaller than a standard lifeboat and was designed for quick lowering as in cases of personal of a person overboard. Among its occupants are first-class passengers. Remember what I said? Sir Cosmo Edmund Duff Gordon and his wife Lucy. 70 occupants are crewmen, and Duff Gordon pays each of them Five pounds, reportedly, to replace lost clothing and gear, but possibly, according to subsequent accusation, as a bribe to keep the crew from letting anyone else into the boat. What a jerk. Let me pay you so you can keep other people who are also trying to survive off my boat. Nothing much has changed in today's era, either. 1.10 a.m., number A is among the first lifeboats lowered onto the port side. It is launched with only 28 people, including first-class passengers Lucy Noel Martha. She is the Countess of Rothes, who will later, be the ma later man the tiller. Isidore and Ida Strauss are offered seats in the boat. However, Isidore refuses to disobey the order of women and children first. Ida, in turn, will not leave her husband's side, reportedly saying, where you go, I will go. Neither will survive. That's amazing. At 1.20 a.m., number 10 is launched. Among the occupants is nine-week-old Milvina Dean, who will become the last living survivor of the disaster. She would have died, she died in 2009 at the age of 97. Number 9 on the stern starboard side is lowered. With some 56 people on board, it is nearly full. One of the occupants is American businessman Benjamin Guggenheim's alleged mistress. Guggenheim and his valet later change into former attire. He reportedly says, We've dressed up in our best and are prepared to go down like gentlemen. His body was never recovered, so he could have wore a tux, he could have wore sweatpants and a hoodie. It wouldn't have mattered, but he felt good going down in his tux, so... Kudos to him. Possibly not understanding the direness of the situation, the Olympic radios, are you steering southerly to meet us? The Titanic responds, we are putting the women off in boats. While still hours away, the Titanic will be informed by the Carpathia of the Titanic sinking. Number 12 is lowered with about half its seats empty. However, it will eventually carry more than 70 people. 
at 1.30 a.m., amid, amid the growing panic, several male, male passengers tried to board number 14, causing the fifth, fifth officer, Harold Lowe, to fire his gun three times. Is later, he is later placed in command of the boat. After sinking of the Titanic, Lowe will transfer, transfer people into lifeboats 4, 10, and 12 and collapsible D so he can return to look for survivors in the water. He will pull several men to safety and rescue those in partially flooded collapsible lifeboat A. The collapsible lifeboats have canvas sides that can be folded for easy storage. The capacity is 47. Number 13 is long. Oh, I'm sorry. Philip continues to send out distress calls with growing desperation. Women and children in boats cannot last much longer. Number 13 is launched and is soon followed by number 15, which holds many third-class passengers. As, being, as it is being lowered, number 15 nearly lands on number 13, which has drifted under it. However, the crewmen in number 13 aren't able to cut and launch the rows, ropes and row to safety. So at 1.40 a.m., oh, at 1.35 a.m., number 16 is launched. At 1.40 a.m., collapsible sea is lowered. Among its occupant is White Star Chairman J. Bruce Ismay. Although later he will claim, later claim that no women or children were in the area when he boarded the lifeboats, others will refute that assertion. His decision not to go down with the ship will result in many branding him a coward. 1.45 a.m., number two, an emergency cutter, is launched under the command of 4th Officer Boxall. Aboard are some 20 people. Number 11 is lowered with some 50 people aboard. And number 4 is readied for launch. Madeline Astor, some 5 months pregnant, is helped onto the boat by her husband, J John Jacob Astor. When Astor asks if he may join her, 2nd Officer Light told her, who has strictly followed the order of women and children first, refuses. Astor does not press the issues and steps away. His body was later recovered. At 2 a.m., the only lifeboats that remain on the Titanic are the three of the collapsible boats. The Titanic's bow has sunk low enough that the stern's propeller are, not, are now clearly visible above water. Crewmen lower collapsible lifeboat D from the roof of their officer's quarter, and more than 20 people are in the boat. As the Titanic's bow goes under... Collapsible A is washed from the deck. Some 20 people manage to get into the boat, which is partly filled with water. But by that time, low, by the time low and number 14 comes to the, their aid, only 12 are alive. Three bodies are left in the boat, which will be discovered a month later by Oceanic. As crewmen try to re release Collapsible B, it falls, and before it can be righted, it is swept off the Titanic. Thirty men find safety on the still overturned lifeboat, including wireless operator Bride and Second Officer Light Toller. The men will later be taken aboard numbers four and twelve. Captain Smith releases the crew, saying that it's every man for himself. Smith is reportedly last seen on the bridge. His body will never be recovered. At two seventeen a.m., Phillips sent his final distress signal, reportedly makes it to the overturned collapsible lifeboat B, but succumbs to exposure. His body will never be found. 2.18 a.m., the lights on the Titanic go out, plunging the ship into darkness. 
As the Titanic's bow continues to sink, the stern rises higher out of the water, placing the great strain on the midsection, and the ship breaks into two between the third and fourth funnels. Reports would later speculate that it took some six minutes for the bow section, likely traveling at approximately 30 miles per hour to reach the bottom of the ocean. The stern momentarily settles back into the water before rising again, and eventually becoming vertical. It briefly remains in that position before the beginning its final plunge. And at 2.20 a.m., the stern disappeared into the ocean, and the Titanic is gone. Water pressure allegedly caused the stern, which still has air inside, to implode as it sinks. The stern lands some 2,000 feet from, from the bow, and hundreds of people are in the freezing water. Although there is room in most of the lifeboats, crewmen are fearful that the boats will be swamped. Several boats eventually return, but too late. And a few people are pulled to safety, but most die of exposure. Over the next several hours, numerous ships tried in vain to contact the Titanic. At one point, the Burma's wireless operator, believing that he has heard the liner, sends a message, steaming full speed to you, shall arrive you to you 6 in the morning. Hope you are safe. At 3.30 a.m., Carpathia arrives, firing rockets. At 4.10 a.m., number two is the first lifeboat to reach the Carpathia. It will take several hours for the ship to pick up all the survivors. Ismay writes a message to be sent to the White Star Line offices. Deeply regret to advise you, Titanic is sinking. Titanic sank this morning, 15th after collision with an iceberg. If you hear a bunch of noise in the background, that is my cat. Sorry. So, at 8.30 a.m., the Californian, which approximately at 5.30 a.m., learned of the Titanic. Sinking arrives. It searches for the area several hours, but fails to find any survivors. The Carpathia carrying around the 705 Titanic survivors heads to New York City, where it will arrive to massive crowds on April 18th. So, that's the rundown of the timeline of kind of what happened with the Titanic and, and its timeline of its from that day to the actual the next day and all everything that happened in between. So, I kind of want to go over now... The conspiracy. So there are some conspiracies around the Titanic. So for all my conspiracy theorists people, put on your tinfoil hats because we're going to go through some uh, top 10 according to Spyscape. So the top 10, the number 10 uh, conspiracy theory is it was an inside job to collect the insurance money. And we kind of went over this uh, with part one about how insurance scams and all that were more common back then because the technology wasn't uh, viable and wasn't um, existent for people to kind of run your name through a, a computer and your database and go, hey, you know, a red flag pops up when your name's put in. So we talked about J.P. Morgan and Rothschild. Those guys were kind of the poster child for insurance scams and gobbling up all the money and leaving everybody else to kind of, you know, 
the broken pieces left over, which mostly ended up in a lot of people not surviving. So conspiracy theorist Robin Gardner had an unusual idea. The Titanic didn't sink. <laughs> didn't sink. Instead, its sister ship, RMS Olympic, was disguised as the Titanic in an insurance scam by her owners, the International Mercantile Marine Group, controlled by American banker, who else but J.P. Morgan. Ultimate Titanic disagrees with Gardner, however, pointing out that the Titanic's construction materials bore the number 401. The Olympics parts were stamped 400. Only materials numbered 401 were recovered from the wreckage. Okay, so number 9. Oh, in this website also, Spyscape, has some crazy photos of the Titanic like it, in its disarray under the, the Atlantic Ocean. It's super cool. So, number nine, the Titanic sinking was part of an elaborate, elaborate murder plot, which this also kind of, you know, kind of gives way and, and has a little bit of truth, maybe. Some blade J.P. Morgan anyway, claiming the banker arranged an elaborate murder. As the theory goes, Morgan wanted to create a U.S. Federal Reserve Bank, which was opposed by his rivals. Millionaires John Jacob Astor, Benjamin Guggenheim, and Macy Sitter Strauss all three rivals were aboard the Titanic. Guggenheim and Strauss apparently went down with the ship, which we went over, and Astor's body was later recovered. Author Jake Kent Layton finds the murder theory unworkable, however, because there is no evidence and no one has admitted to playing a role. But who would admit to that? J.P. Morgan's not going to come out and go, hey, guys, by the way, yeah, you're right. Number eight, the cursed mummy theory. So there's a theory that a cursed mummy was aboard the ship, which doesn't seem too crazy with all the rich people and what rich people get away with. And if you flash enough dollar bills in front of somebody, they'll let it happen. But this is even a little bit out there. So it seems a mummified Egyptian princess also left a trail of devastation across England in the 1900s after being excavated and moved. Alas, Charles Haas of the Titanic International Society assessed the ship's cargo and manifest. And in 1985, there was no mummy aboard, cursed or otherwise. Number seven, a German U-boat torpedoed the Titanic. Although World War I had started yet, suspicious minds suggest a German U-boat could have attacked the British ship. Some survivors reported a vessel lurking miles away until the early morning. The sub may have deliberately targeted the luxury liner or possibly accidentally collided with, with it, according to a Huffington Post columnist. There's no proof, however. Critics of this theory also point out that a German U-boat attack on RMS Lustenia in 1915 caused the ship to sink in 18 minutes. It took the Titanic 2 hours and 40 minutes. The sinking ship was a result of a sabotage. Belfast ship builders harlan and wolf have been the focus of several conspiracy theories one story goes that catholic workers were horrified that the ship's whole number 390904 seemed to spell out no pope if read backwards so they sabotaged the ship but the trouble is the titanic was assigned to a yard number 401 and her official board of trade designation was 131428 so 390904 seems to have been plucked out of the sky Number five is the substandard rivets were used to cut costs. Harler and Wolf were also blamed for using substandard materials to save money during construction, even though there was no limit on the budget to build the luxurious liner. 
Supposedly, they wrought iron rivets, mechanical fasteners, instead of steel rivets, as they were three meters rivets in the Titanic's hull. The theory is that the lower the grade standard rivets were brittle in cold temperatures and popped off when the steamship hit an iceberg. Number three, the official inquiries were a Freemason whitewash. Number two, the coal fire theory. So the coal fire theory is one of the more interesting ideas. Robert Ensenhai, an Ohio State University engineer, is the is of the opinion that a pile of stored coal could have been smoldering, so it was added to the furnace to refute, reduce the fire danger. That in turn led to the unsafe speeds as the Titanic raced into the iceberg-filled ocean. Even if theory is even if the theory is correct, the Titanic set off from the Southampton, England, with one of its bunker ablaze or spontaneous combustion occurred while sailing. Would fire be a game changer? It's my personal opinion that it didn't make a difference. The former secretary of British Titanic Society, David Hill, told the Times. Number one, the perfect storm theory. Here's one of the more interesting theories. What if the fire in bunker number six was part of a perfect storm of events that sank the Titanic? A combination of fire, ice, and criminal negligence. Irish journalist and author Senan Maloney believes a substantial fire could have weakened the sections of the hole, making it impossible for the Titanic to withstand the impact of an iceberg. The influence of the fire was downplayed in the original inquiry into the disaster, but it was entirely discounted. <clears throat> so that's, I thought we have a little fi- fun with those kind of theories. And what do you guys think it was? Do you think it could have just been an insurance scam? Do you think it was a big murder plot that somehow he pulled off? Or do you just think it was just plain negligence of the captain and the crew aboard. I can tell you from reading the timeline and everything going down, I think they could have handled the chaos a little bit better instead of just kind of everybody throwing around and, you know, especially filling up the lifeboats. That was absolutely ridiculous. So there is a wild conspiracy that the Titanic never sank. So basically in this theory it kind of breaks down that J.P. Morgan had a bunch of ships. All right. He, he had the financial backing of a bunch of ships in that shipyard. And one of the things is that he built the ship that was supposed to be the Titanic. And it somehow got damaged in the process, or I think it got damaged when it went out on its testing. Um, the Olympics crash is where paths diverge. So there was the Olympic and then there was the Titanic, and then there was there was another one. There was three. But after the crash, conspiracy theorists claimed the Olympic was an economic disaster. The lawsuit meant repairs would not be covered by insurance and was drawing no money while sitting around the docks. So the company made a switch. Its nearly newly built second ship would take on the name Olympic, while its damaged older ship would be repurposed to be the Titanic. So if that theory somehow pans out, Basically, all of those people that were trying to come over to America, they kind of got duped. All those people that paid for high-class, you know, five-star dining, five-star service, that all didn't really mean anything if they got stuck with a ship that was damaged previously. So basically, it was a floating disaster from the start. 
Other conspiracy theorists claim a more nefarious reasoning for the sinking. J.P. Morgan was behind the switch, eager to use an inferior ship to drown his enemies aboard, which we did go over. So there's also that theory that the Titanic was actually just a disaster from day one, and he wanted to get it off his shipyard. What do you guys think of that theory? So I wanted to move on a little bit from theories and kind of go over survivors and kind of what they went through afterwards. Um an article uh, by ATI, 12 Titanic survivors whose stories reveal the tragedy's true scope. Um, it's an estimate of 2,224 passengers and crew aboard the Titanic when it struck and sank on April 15, 1912. Some of 1,500 died in the cold waters of the North Atlantic. A mere 700 people lived on. These are the most, some of the most powerful stories of the Titanic. So, the Titanic survivors, the Navratil orphans, um, Michael and Edmund Navratil, they were accompanied on the voyage by their father, Michael Navratil Sr., who was still smarting from his recent separation from their mother, Marcel Corretto. Um, he had bought second-class tickets on the Titanic and boarded the doomed ship, introducing himself to fellow passengers as the widower Louis M. Hoffman, a man traveling with his son Lolo and Momin. On the night of the Titanic struck the iceberg, Navratil was able to get the boys aboard a lifeboat, the very last lifeboat to leave the ship. Michael Jr., though he was only three at the time, remembered that just before placing him in the lifeboat, his father gave him a final message. My child, when your mother comes for you, as she surely will, tell her that I loved her dearly and still do. Tell her I expected to f her to follow us so that we might all live happily together in peace and freedom of the new world. My child, okay. So there's also so many more stories too. If you guys ever want to look into it, I tried to find more and, and there are actually more, but that one actually really stuck out to me too, because it was two, two twin, two boys, two children. And I can't even imagine. And I'm glad they were able to get that light last lifeboat and get aboard. Um, so I wanted to go over a theory that has nothing to do with the reality, but from the film, so, if you haven't seen the Titanic film, please do. If you have, you might have heard this theory. If not, well, you're in for it. So, there is a theory that Jack, who's played by Leonardo DiCaprio, is actually a time traveler in the movie. I know that sounds crazy. So, the theory begins that when Jack wins his ticket aboard the ship in a poker game, he is too poor to afford one. So, this leads fans to suggest that Jack has no money because he isn't from the early 20th century. So, he doesn't possess the correct currency. Furthermore, when Jack and Rose meet, he discusses how he spent time fishing on Lake Wissota. However, this man-made lake did not exist until 1917, five years after the sinking of the ship. Later on, during the iconic scene in which Jack holds Rose as they look out over the ocean, he tells her he'll take her to ride a roller coaster on Santa Monica Pier, which also yet is not constructed. These are definitely points of contention, Jack could have genuinely made poor, and writers could have easily made some poorly researched cultural references. With this in mind, theorists have provided way more evidence to prove that Jack is a time traveler. 
there's an issue of his hairstyle, which is distinctively modern for the period. Most men around this time wore short, combed back styles that were far a far cry from the effortless 1990s heartthrob cut that Jack sports. If that's not the only thing wrong with how Jack presents himself, he is also seen carrying a backpack that was not popular until the 1930s and uses slang such as bum a smoke, which is not typically used in the early 20th century. So why would Jack want to ensure that the Titanic sank? Well, there's no concrete answer, of course. However, theorists suggest that without the scene of the Titanic, history would have looked wildly different. Thus, Jack was sent back in time to keep history as we know in course. To do this, he had to stop Rose from committing suicide. Otherwise, the ship would have undoubtedly stopped to look for her, thus avoiding the iceberg. So, technically, he was sent back in time to make sure that the Titanic sunk. And he was there to stop Rose from jumping off the ship, which sounds crazy. Many fans of this theory have taken it one step further, suggesting that Jack is part of Cameron's Terminator universe and set back in time to ensure that Rose gives birth to Sarah Connor's mother. Holy moly. There's a Cameron universe. How about that? So, guys, that was the Titanic Part 2. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I'm going to cut it off here because this episode's long enough. But thank you so much for joining, and thank you for listening. I hope you guys enjoyed this. Let me know if you like these, like this Part 1 and Part 2. And I hope you guys do because it kind of gives me and you a break from the topics we talk about on a regular basis. But don't worry. Hopefully next week we'll get back into some real uh, world topics and uh, we'll get back in some serious discussions, but I hope you enjoyed this episode. Make sure you follow on Spotify, like on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok at the takeaway 2023. If you have suggestions or stories or experiences, anything you would like to share, you can reach out to those social media outlets or email the takeaway 2023 at yahoo.com. And that's all I have for this week. I hope you guys have a wonderful wonderful weekend, and I will see you on the next episode. Again, be sure to like and follow and rate on Spotify. It really helps, guys. Uh, it might seem like a small thing, but it really, really does help. But until then, thank you guys so much for listening. Have a great weekend, and I will see you on the next episode. Bye. Connected to Daniel's Noah 20 Ultra.